across the nations. And last Sunday, I wasn't with you here, I was with our church plant in Waddington. Waddington's in North uh, Lincolnshire. And uh, that small church plants meeting in a village hall and have a real heart for their community and particularly those who are living on the RAF base there. And it was encouraging as, we, as I preached about the gift of prophecy to begin to see them stepping out, hearing from God uh, for one another. Please do keep praying for that church in Waddington. We're expecting great things from them as they're seeking to impact their communities. And then this week, as some of the leaders from Jubilee met with other leaders in Gloucester from our regions beyond family, from across Europe, and we worshipped, we prayed, heard from God together, and we heard stories of what God is doing in Montpellier, in France particularly, and also in the UK. JW, who's from Utrecht, that's our church, Hope Church in Utrecht, shared from God's word. And I'm so thrilled that actually JW is coming to join our 18s to 30s weekend away, which is not next weekend, the following weekend. If you're aged between 18 and 30, then I'd encourage you, join us on that weekend together as we gather together to hear from God. If you need more information about that, you haven't signed up, then please go to the information point, that's the red board outside, and you can hear a little bit more about what we're going to be doing uh, there together. And it's a great time uh, in God's presence there as we gathered and sought God. And one of the key focuses, again, was remembering that we need to keep encountering God and his presence. And I'm so thrilled that's what we're intending to do each Sunday, each time we gather in our small groups. We want to encounter God's presence. We want to worship him, but we also want him to change us and to challenge us. And also there's a growing desire within our family of churches to really keep praying, particularly for the unreached people groups of the world. So in 2020, we're going to have a year of prayer, particularly praying for the unreached people groups of the world. And we'll be part of that. We'll pray for 24 hours or more together as we seek to push out the gospel right across the world. And I was thinking about it. It's, only, it's just been about 14 years ago that myself and my wife, Jo, uh, moved to this incredible city with our son Caleb. He was six, with a small team to start Jubilee Church. And it was costly, and it was sacrificial again to leave our church family in Middlesbrough, where we'd been for five years, and move to a new city. However, from the beginning, we fell in love with this place and the people. And we've loved that what God has been doing over all the years. There's been such joy there's also been challenges and difficulties. However, we've seen God's faithfulness. And my biggest delight is seeing people's lives changed by Jesus and added to our church family. And our family is making more and more impact in our university, our places of education, our workplaces, our communities, and all that God is doing here throughout the week. This year, those of you who've been with us, we know we, we've expanded our leadership team which really has helped strengthen and helped us to, to build a greater foundation for more growth. And of course, we've benefited from more connection with regions beyond, and we've received support, but also been given a bigger vision of what God wants to do for us in Hull into the nations. And the values and mission of regions beyond to help to see where God is leading us and the part that each of us has to play. And part of this role is helping to influence other churches 
And now you'll notice that I'm not as regular here on a Sunday as I seek to strengthen other churches. And part of what God has done among us here in Jubilee has taught us a lot of lessons. We've had a lot of success and we've had some failures. And one of our roles now in Hull is to help other churches as they seek God together, particularly in the area of serving their communities, but in many ways. So I've had invitations again and again to go and visit different places, and I'm excited uh, to travel, to support. I also miss you when I'm not here. But Joe and I are still very committed to Hull, very committed to Jubilee. We're not planning on moving and I haven't got a new job. Not yet. No. However, if, you want, if we want to be what God has called us to be and to release potential, things do need to change in leadership roles and responsibilities. We all need to grow in our gifting, in the call of God, as we seek to empower others. And we have to make room. And increasingly, I know God is calling me to help strengthen and support churches across this nation and across the world within our family of churches. And I need to be released to do that, to be who God's called me to do. Also, Dan Fryer, for the past year, has actually been leading our leadership team. And he has stepped up in his calling and gifting. He's so gifted of God. Today, he was playing, leading worship. Last week, he was preaching. Many ways God has given him just both wisdom and discernment. And he has stepped up. And we know from last week what an incredible preacher he is. Uh, so with support and advice from friends within our church family, we felt God lead us now to make a transition. So instead of me leading the church from January, Dan will kind of officially take up that responsibility. Because we're recognising God's call on my life, but also God's call on his life. Well, what difference is that going to make? Well, in one way, it's going to make a huge difference because Dan will primarily focus on Jubilee and all that God has for this church here, while I will have a bigger focus and vision on the work of readings beyond across the nations. But that will then feed into what God is doing here. So it means that as Jubilee, we'll make greater impact across not just our communities here, but across the nations. However, in one way, it won't make a huge difference. I will remain an elder of the church. We don't have a hierarchy in this church. We have a very flat leadership, but we have somebody leading the team. And I will still be here to support and mentor Dan and the leadership team. I will still preach, serve in Jubilee. Jo will still serve as much as she has been in the life of the church. So you're not getting rid of us, okay? But I'm so excited in this new season, or as God has prophetically said to us in Regions Beyond, a new era. And in this new era, God is going to do some amazing things and preparing us for what we believe is going to be a coming revival. You know, if a team hadn't planted here in Hull, thousands of lives would not have been affected with the gospel. But do you know there are villages, there are towns, there are cities, there are nations that still need people, church communities to impact them. They need churches that will bring God's love and impact, like we're doing in North Hull. So we all have a part to play. So I want us to step into all that God has for us. And if you're new among us, come and join us on the journey that God has called us to. Because we're not only for here for Hull, but have a real call to the nations. Amen? Amen. Let's just pray. Father, 
We want to thank you for this morning. We thank you for all that you're doing in our lives individually, but also corporately as Jubilee Church Hull. We thank you that each one of us has a vital part to play. We thank you for those who give, those who serve, those who pray, those who come alongside, those who pastor, those who lead, those who serve. And Lord, we pray each one of us would step into all that God has for us. And as we look at God's word this morning, Lord, that you would challenge and change and transform us. Amen. Amen. Well, this morning we're continuing to preach on our sermon series from the book of Genesis. And I love catching up on last week's sermon from Dan as he talked about God's plan in relationships and particularly touched on issues of sexuality. And it was preached, as I heard it, with such humility and compassion without moving from the truth of God's word. And if you missed this key foundational talk, then please go to our website and listen. Now, over the past few weeks, as we have worked through the book of Genesis, we've already seen the amazing power and love of God. We've understood that God is this incredible creator of all things. He created all things. And after God created the heavens and the earth, it said this, he formed a man from the dust and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life and the man became a living being, Genesis 2, 7. We were all created in the image of God. We are all now his image bearers in the earth. God has made all things and it was good. God planted a garden and he placed man there in the garden, the Garden of Eden. God made all kinds of trees that were pleasing to the eyes and good for the food. But in the middle of that was a tree of life and the tree of knowledge of good and of evil. But God did not put man in the garden just to consume and enjoy eating the fruits. He was also given the opportunity, the pleasure to work or farm the land, to take care of it, to guard it, to steward it. He was given the joy of rest, as Alison reminded us as she preached so brilliantly. And also another good thing that gave to his man was his wife. I thank God for my wife, Jo. Don't you? You know, because she's your wife, but I thank God for her. I thank God that just before I came up, she said to me, Steve, where did you get that shirt from? I said, the wardrobe. She said, why hasn't it been ironed? So I do apologise. I thought I'd savour the ironing this week, because I'm terrible at ironing, as you will tell. But what we see is God gave man rest. He gave him his wife. And in verses 16, 17, chapter 2, God commanded the man, you are free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of knowledge of good and evil. For when you eat it, you will surely die. My goodness. You can have all these trees, all the fruit of the trees. You can benefit from this incredible creation that's gone, but not that tree. Not that one. And in that passage, it helps us to understand who really is sovereign, who is in control, who is in authority. It is God. And though he gave man a choice, it is limited. He gave man the freedom to eat the tree, the fruit of any tree, except the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And God's command, as he always is, it was good. 
It didn't suppress the happiness of man. He wanted his happiness to continue and to flourish. So it was in his goodness he gave the warning that you should avoid something that would separate him from the heavenly happiness of an intimate relationship with his maker. And God placed the first man and woman in an ideal environment with only one restriction. Don't eat. Let's just stand together as we read God's word. We're going to Genesis chapter 3. Now the serpent was more crafty than of any of the wild animals the Lord God has made. He said to the woman, did God really say you must not eat from the tree in the garden? The woman said to the serpent, we may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, but God did say you must not eat from the tree that is in the middle of the garden and you must not touch it or you will die. You will not certainly die, the serpent said to the woman, for God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable from gaining wisdom, she took it and ate Crunch. She also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate it. Then the eyes of both were opened and they realised they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of day and they hid from the Lord God among the trees. But the Lord God said to the men, where are you? He answered, I heard you in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked so I hid. And he said, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from? The man said, the woman you put me here with, she gave me some fruit from the tree and I ate it. Then the Lord God said to the woman, what is it that you have done? The woman replied, the serpent deceived me and I ate. So the Lord God said to the serpent, because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock and all wild animals. You will crawl on your belly, you will eat dust all the days of your life and I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your your offspring and hers. He will crush your head and you will strike his heel. Let's just take our seats. See, what we read in this important passage of scripture, we read the consequences of mankind's rebellion As we read the following verses, there will be pain in childbirth, hard toil of the land, death and a banishment from the garden. See, it's so important to understand that God is the creator and we are the created. There is only one God and that which he has made. And here in these verses, we see this serpent, this snake, a picture of the devil who comes with temptation. What does he say? There shouldn't be any boundaries. Cross over. Take the fruit. You can be in charge of your own destiny. Live like as you want to, as you decide. Take charge. Make the choice if you want to. That choice is pride and independence rather than trusting God and living in his joy. So when this tempter came, Adam and Eve disbelieved God and trusted the words of what the Bible describes, the father of lies, the enemy, the devil. He says, you will not certainly die. 
What else did this great liar said? He says, for God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be opened. You'll be like God, knowing good and evil. See, they believed another serious lie, that God was trying to hold back something good from them. God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be opened. What's he saying? That God would like to suppress their mental or spiritual discernment or he would not like them to have their own knowledge to arrive to its full potential. And you know that is such a great lie. And not only that, there was a topping of the lie in the words of the snake, which was really aimed at the heart. You'll be like God, knowing good and evil. So when they disbelieved and disobeyed God, their desire, it says, for the fruit of the tree was good for food, pleasing to the eye, and also desirable for gaining wisdom. It was actually secondary. They wanted to be like God, who determines what is good and evil, who makes the decisions what is good and bad. And when they ate the forbidden fruit, it was a total act of rebellion against God. They chose to take from the tree. Sin enters humanity and judgment results. The first consequence of stepping outside of God's plan, they suddenly realised they were naked. They made coverings from themselves. They now felt vulnerable. They needed to cover up. They were no longer safe in the loving arms of their creator because they'd begun to enter a relationship with somebody else. They were exposed. They felt shame. They needed to cover and hide. And from that moment in the garden into now, that was what humanity does. It tries to hide from God and often from others. That we do shameful things. We do things that are wrong. And we cover ourselves up. Sometimes with respectability. Sometimes we cover ourselves with trying to gain material wealth to deal with the very depths of our sinful hearts. That's why it says the love of money is the root of all evil. We begin to fill our lives. We begin to hide. We break community. I can't mix with those people because if they might find out who I truly am. We hide. We cover ourselves with shame. We lock ourselves in. We keep things secret. We do things in secret. And shame covers us. We try and cover it up, but deep down there is great shame. Sin. Every person is guilty of sin. We've all rebelled against God. We are all full of pride. We've all tried and we live, try to live like gods. We want to be masters of our own destiny. We've stepped out of the comforting arms of a loving God and our sin has now separated us from him we're all now deserving of death eternal death eternal separation from God a disconnected relationship with the loving father meaning we are now headed as the Bible said for a broad road of destruction hell eternal fire that's a consequence of our wrongdoing our sin the bible says we all fall short of god's standard and so there's a seriousness to sin 
It's not simply hurting yourself or others. Every time there is disobedience or sin against God, there is a display of unbelief in God's word and a desire to let him have his authority. A desire to put us on the throne, not him. To choose us as the final authority, not God. See, sometimes we only see the seriousness of sin like murder or rape or some other horrific crime. And we fail to realise that no matter how many good things we perform in our own eyes or in the eyes of other, we still remain under the judgment and the wrath of God. Because of our nature, it's sinful. Because we can't have this relationship with a loving, holy God. Isn't that blooming depressing? Shall we just go home now? Just to feel bad about yourself. But what we should not feel is bad about ourselves, but a conviction. Conviction, actually, that we have sinned against a holy, almighty, loving God. That we've walked away from him. We've chosen to live our lives our own way. But here in the first book of the Bible, Genesis where we've seen such beauty, such love of the creator, and now this, we can think this is so discouraging. There seems to be no hope. We're cut off. We're separated. Things are in turmoil. We recognize that in our relationships, the people around us, the politics around us, the things that are going in the world. But it's not about just humanity, but all creation is damaged because of sin. Broken relationships and a broken world. However, right in this passage, we see incredible hope and incredible promise. God speaks his judgment to this snake, this serpent, this tempter. And he says, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and hers. He will crush your head and you will strike his heel. Here, right at the beginning of the Bible, is the first gospel promise is given to the snake. Despite rebellion, despite man falling away from God, God has a plan. God has an answer. See, embedded with these threatening words of doom is mankind's only hope. The seed of this woman. There will become a deliverer, a saviour, a messiah. The promise declares that the coming one will not arrive, however, before this fierce conflict develops. There's not only a promise of warfare, but there is a promise of hope. And God says to the serpent and mankind, they continue to fight across all generations, that there's a promise. One day, her very seed, her offspring will strike his head. The seed will totally crush you. A snake crusher is coming. There is a hope of the gospel and that will help us to understand the rest of Genesis and in fact the whole of the Bible. There is a coming Messiah, a hero, someone who comes to save all mankind. Who is this? The seed to crush the head. The rest of Genesis as we read it continues to prompt us to ask that question. Where is the seed? Who is the descendant who will crush the devil and reverse this incredible curse? Is it Eve's son, Cain? No, he comes on to murder. 
Is it the son Seth? No, he dies. Is it Noah? An incredible man of God, yet such a drunkard? No. Abraham? Not quite. Yet to Abraham is also the promise that through his seed the nations would be blessed. Is it Jacob? No. Is it Isaac? No. Yet 10,000 years after this promise was made, we find a Jewish man in a different garden. In the garden of Gethsemane. A man in prayer before his father. And in that garden, as he sweat tears, he said, not my will, but yours be done. Crunch. Not my will, but yours be done. As Adam said in the garden, no, my will, not yours. As Eve said in the garden, not mine, but yours. There, Jesus Christ, in the garden of Gethsemane, says, not my will, but yours. As he goes to the cross, the cross of Calvary, as he goes to die on a cross, to die for our rebellion, our sin, our disobedience. Jesus died in our place. He took the penalty. He crushed sin and death by his death and resurrection. He defeated the devil, the servant, the enemy, and brought us back into the loving arms of our creator, our father, Jesus, the snake crusher. See, the gospel is not something God hid until Jesus came in the flesh. After Adam's fall, his rebellion, which is all our rebellion, God shared the seeds of a plan. He had already worked out even before time began. The words in Genesis were written thousands of years before Jesus even died on the cross. Yet they prove this. God oversees every word of scripture, every promise, every instant of history to unfold his sovereign, eternal plan. And you and I are part of that plan. Isn't that wonderful? Doesn't that bring you security this morning that Jesus, that the Father are in control? He knows all things. Isaiah 53 verse 5 says this. But Jesus, he talks about here, he was pierced for our transgression. He was crushed for our iniquities. That's our sin. The punishment that was brought us peace was on him. And by his wounds we are healed. Isaiah 55 verse 10 says, Yet it was the Lord's will to crush him. Because there needed to be a crushing of sin. That sin was placed on Jesus. Our wrongdoing, our separation. It was the Lord's will to crush him and cause him to suffer. And though the Lord makes his life an offering for sin... He will see his offspring and prolong his days and the will of the Lord will prosper in his hand. See, the crushing of the servant's head, the defeat of sin and death came through Jesus Christ being crushed for us. He suffered in our place. In Hebrew, it says, since the children have flesh and blood, he too shared in their humanity that by his death he might break the power of him who holds the power of death, that is the devil, and free those of all their lives were held in slavery by the fear of death. This morning, 
If you know Jesus, if you're a Christian here, you have been set free from sin and death and slavery and all its consequences. You're no longer headed on the broad road to destruction, eternal separation from God. You are now part of God's kingdom. You are heading your way to the eternal presence of a loving, heavenly Father where we will be seated with him forever in the new heaven and a new earth. There's such hope. There's such confidence that we can have. That at the cross, Jesus demonstrates it. And the New Testament is also clear that although Christ has done this, there will be the seeing and that working of that in the end times. In Romans 16, 20, it says, the God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. The Christian, the church will be victorious. Satan is placed under our feet and in Christ we crush the serpent we tread the enemy under our feet as we live for Jesus as we make decisions each day I'm going to follow him not my own way I'm going to follow Jesus I'm going to make right decisions I'm going to seek to honour him I'm not going to live in rebellion but I'm going to live in the arms of an everlasting, caring Father. And we see this wonderful picture. We've already begun to look at Revelation this morning. In Revelation 20, and it says this, the vision that was seen of the end of time. Then I saw a great white throne, and him who was seated on it. The earth and the heavens fled from his presence. There was no place for them. And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne, and the books were opened. Another book was opened, which is the book of life. The dead were judged according what they had done as recorded in the books. There's a record of every sin, every disobedience of God, and it's written. One day it will be public before the judgment seat of Christ. The sea gave up the dead that were in it. The death and Hades gave up the dead that were in them. And each person was judged according to what they had done. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. The lake of fire is the second death. Anyone whose name was not found written in the book of life was thrown in the lake of fire. See, the wonderful hope of this gospel is that if you know Jesus, if you have received that forgiveness of Jesus, if you accepted yes, I'm not going to rebel. I'm not going to go my own way anymore. I'm going to follow what God says. We receive the forgiveness of Jesus. Then our names are now written in the Lamb's book of life. What incredible truth. What incredible grace and mercy there is for us and for us today. See, it's clear that Satan is still alive. But he's not well on planet Earth. He is a defeated foe. His final doom awaits him. The enemy and all the enemies of God will be thrown into the lake of fire. So this morning we have a great message of hope. Although we were all headed for destruction, Jesus offers us a different way. He offers us forgiveness for our rebellion, our pride, our sin. We can know the victory of all evil, of all sin being defeated in our lives. We can avoid that lake of fire. I wonder this morning, have you got that hope? Have you accepted and received the truth that you need Jesus? You need to stop living your life of rebellion 
turn away from sin and come to the loving arms of God. So you can't keep living your own way. It will lead to destruction. You need Jesus. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth and the life. No one can come to the Father except through me. Only Jesus offers the way of salvation. Only he offers the way of forgiveness. Today, you can know Jesus. It will mean a total turnaround. Things will change because you're going to go in a different direction. I want to challenge you. Do you know Jesus? Have you received that salvation from him? Because today is an opportunity where you can say, I want to receive this salvation for myself. I need to know him. I need to receive forgiveness. I want to know him. And for those of us here who already know Jesus, we know this, despite that evil still exists, it's, it's, we know there's still bad things that happen to us and to others. Some of us are facing suffering and pressures. We have disappointments and we have trials, but yet we have a certain hope. God has a plan. The Bible says he will work all things together for good for those who love him. He is in control. One day we will see the fullness of the victory of Jesus. But until that day, we can still live victorious in our everyday lives, in our actions, in our thinking. We can continue to take ground as we plant churches, as we make right decisions, as we stop gossiping in the workplace, as we stop doing hidden things in darkness. We can receive his grace and mercy and we can crush the enemy under our feet. Why don't we just stand together? If the band would like to come back up, please. We have an opportunity this morning again that we always offer. The opportunity for transformation to take place. Let's not be looking around at everybody. Let's think about us. You know, often when we hear about sin and destruction, we think of somebody else. We don't think of ourselves. So just for a moment, just close your eyes. I want to ask you this question. Do you know Jesus? Do you have that hope, that confidence that you will be with God forever, that he has forgiven you, that you are now covered? You're not, no long, you're not long covered in shame. The Bible says you're now covered. You can be covered in Jesus. You are made right. If you don't know Jesus this morning, but you want to know him, you want to receive him, then in a moment... As I call people forward, please come forward because our team would like to pray with you, to help you, to take that step, even this morning, saying, I need Jesus, I need to follow him. There's other of us here who've fallen away from Jesus. We've made wrong decisions, but today, God says, come on back. There is hope, there is victory for you. The enemy is not in control of your life, Jesus is. And though you might try and rebel, do you know you can't run from God? The Bible says once you're in Christ, you're in Christ. Nothing can separate you from the love of God that is even in Christ. He's neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor demons, nor any sin, nor anything's done in secret can separate you from the love of God once you know him. Because it's Christ that's done it, not us. Hallelujah for that. Christ has achieved it. He's made us righteous. He's covered us. 
Maybe you're a Christian here this morning and you know there's issues in your life and you're just saying what to say today, Jesus, I want to deal with this. For some of us, it's hidden up because of shame. We feel so ashamed. But the Bible says, bring things into the light that you may be healed. We bring it, first of all, into the light of God, but also somebody else to say, this is what I'm struggling with. And as we shine light, some shame begins to break from our lives. And the greatest joy I have, not only people coming to know Jesus, but Christians, when they come into the freedom, we've got what God calls them to do. As you see shame come from lives, things they've kept hidden for a long time, suddenly as they confess them, suddenly they come into the light, they receive the forgiveness of Jesus and are free to live fullness of life. God wants that for all of us here this morning. We're going to sing a song of worship if the ministry team could come down. There's opportunity to respond this morning to God. If you want to know God, if you want to receive prayer here this morning, you want to come back to God, or you know you just want to share something with somebody who's going to keep it in confidence, although we'd love to help you in that confidence. We have a great team that will help you and support you ongoing if that need is needed. But also, as a reminder, Jesus said we're to pray for his kingdom to come. He says, your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. One day that future kingdom, there will be no sin or sickness. If you've come with sickness this morning, we want to pray for you and declare God's healing in your life. We want to see us set free even this morning. So, ministry team, could you start to come down? If you'd like to receive prayer or maybe you've come with another issue. If you've come with a friend this morning and uh, maybe they're not used to church, but they maybe this morning want to be prayed for, maybe they want to receive Jesus, then just just say, do you want to go down for prayer? I'll go with you. Okay, you can come down with a friend. Because these things are, are not easy sometimes. Well, that's worship, but that's begin to come down and receive prayer.